Welcome. You're listening to the Peace and Passion Podcast, the place for conscious couples and individuals who want to explore aspects of their relationships as a self-growth evolution. I'm your host, Iman Iskander, and I'm a couples therapist and counseling coach on a mission to shore up your relational life with useful information and tips, as well as inspiration and ideas from the great minds of our guests. So you can skillfully and confidently and mindfully navigate the relationship with yourself and with others and with all of life and its challenges. On with the show. Hey, hello people. Welcome back to the Peace and Passion podcast for another exciting episode. And this time I have a guest for you one more time. And it's somebody that I'm really excited to talk to because this man has had a total transformation What do I mean by that? I mean, he has taken himself from rock bottom and he'll talk to you about what rock bottom is all the way to finding a better place, much happier place, and certainly relationship satisfaction all on his own. And it's all done in a very interesting way by finding some, well, community and strong relationships, also by finding some creative fulfillment and staying true to himself. So let me introduce my guest and he can tell you all about his journey. Welcome, Michael. How are you today? Hey, I'm really good. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Lovely. I'm so glad you could make it on this podcast and I was really delighted. I thought you'd say no when I asked you. I thought, no, you won't want to tell his story, but you were so wonderful about it and said, look, if people can learn from this, then I'm really happy. And I just want to acknowledge that and thank you with all my heart for doing that. So thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Amon. All righty. Well, let's get talking. So would you just tell my listeners a little bit about you and a little bit about your journey? Because it's an interesting journey. It's about addiction. And people sometimes want to keep that private. They don't want to go there. They don't want to talk about it. But you're willing to actually go there and talk about it. So a little bit about you and how you got to be addicted and what is this addiction? And then we'll talk about how you got out of it. Sure. Well, for some time, I'd say probably about six years, I um, pretty much smoked weed every day. Um, it wasn't like an immediate thing, but it didn't build up to that. Um, if you actually look on Wikipedia about these statistics, there's about 300,000 people in Australia that supposedly do this every single day. Yeah. Um, and then about 700,000 who do it maybe like once a week. So for a while, I realized like I was a part of that 300,000 statistic. Um, and I, even for a period of time, I was kind of proud of it. Um, and even, you know, getting little nicknames in and around like we Jesus or, uh, what have you. And, um, I think there was a point in my relationships and my life that, uh, it was evident that it was having an effect on me, um, that it was, you know, preventing me from doing all the things that I wanted to do. So, you know, um, I wanted to really be able to moderate it one day, but going from consuming, uh, you know, a mind altering drug every single day to not isn't such an easy process to transition through. Um, but, you know, for me, I, I think I was able, luckily enough to realize that I wasn't really fulfilling uh, my own goals and ambitions, um, even just the ones that I could set for myself in order to just be satisfied with the things that I do with my own time. So ultimately, I kind of had to revise and look inwards and uh, decide like I need to do something about this and I need to actually make myself happy in more ways than just self-medicating. Mm, I love that. You know, one of the most difficult things about addiction, and I do have a few people that I work with 
that are addicted to various substances, one of the trickiest thing is admitting that it's an addiction. Because sometimes I find people kind of lull themselves into this sense of, oh, no, I, I've got total control here. I can step when I want. It's just that I'm choosing not to. And can yeah. you tell me about that point for you? Of course. Um, I think addiction for me took me a while to realize, like, one, it was even there. And even when I would admit it, um, I would kind of forget about it, gloss over it, or pretend like maybe I was just in passing. Um, and addiction rears its head in many different ways to different people. Uh, for me, um, it is somewhat physiological where I'll just feel the like bodily urge to want to do the things that I'm addicted to. Um, in other cases, it's sort of psychological. It can actually be a voice in my head that will just uh, do the most insane mental gymnastics to suggest why I should need or want something. Um, and it can be really difficult to discern the difference between that voice in your head and is that really me or is that like my addiction speaking? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it really creates uh, intense habits and patterns of just uh, behavior and use that um, I don't necessarily see in other people. Um, and in some ways it's beneficial in the way that I may get really good at something and I've become like incredibly efficient at doing whatever I'm interested in. But in other ways, it means that um, if it's not so healthy or it's not so good for me, um, sometimes in the midterm or the long term, it can have pretty adverse effects. Mm. And so what were these effects on you, the short term and the long term effects? Well, in some short term effects, it means that um, if I get hooked on something, whether it's like a new interest, a hobby or a drug, it could mean that, you know, I talk about it a lot, um, which in mm. some cases is great because I can learn from it. In other cases, it's really annoying to some people. Um, but in terms of long-term effects, for especially for substance use, um, I mean, it's n- not always the best for your health. Um, I think in times like, for example, lockdown for when we had COVID in Sydney, um, it really did a number on my health. I used to be actually quite fit. I used to go to the gym all the time. And then it just sort of made me a bit of a couch potato for those uh, ensuing months. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, really took a toll on my self-esteem in that way. Um, it did have adverse effects on my relationships because maybe my emotional regulation would change or the way I would associate people with people would change. Um, I might become more reclusive or I just want to like go home and just do my own thing when I'd be out with people that I actually enjoyed spending time with. So it, it had a variety of different effects, long and short. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love it. You know, you made reference to COVID and lockdown here and it's all these stresses in your life that actually kind of force you further into an undesirable behavior and addiction and so COVID certainly um, is one of those stresses and there's lots of other stresses did you find that your usage increased when there was stress or were you just always kind of using and then feeling like hey I'm in the driver's seat I can kind of manage this thing (laughs) it definitely went up in use because of the stress I'd say Um, there was definitely a time when you know I would pretty much just be excited to be able to finish the day and then go home smoke some weed Uh, and I think that's very normal for a lot of people who do smoke uh, very often you know they do have their day lives and then at night they just get to like smoke all they want but being at home um, there wasn't really any uh, practice at the time from working from home Mm. but also being at home and being stressed out and not really being able to have the freedoms that you're afforded typically meant Mm. that 
I could just have some in the morning if I wanted to. I could have some at lunch if I didn't have any in the morning or if I wanted to just load up after having some in the morning, I could have it at lunch too. And it just meant that I was creating new patterns of abuse. And I even remember there was a time when I was going to bed and I just was laying there, had my eyes shut, and I could hear and feel myself breathing and it kind of hurt in my chest. And I remember thinking, this can't be good for you. Like this, this is no way this is like healthy right now. Um, and I didn't really remember doing anything about it, but mm. that's, I guess that's kind of addiction in some sense. Yeah. And there's some level of awareness. It's not good for you. And yet the habit is still maintained. It's interesting, isn't it? Because people often will use a substance to get the happy feeling because it makes you feel good mm-hmm. when you're using it. It's a short-term happiness. And yet at the same time, you were saying you found that it wasn't good for regulating emotions. You were getting more angry and snappy. And so it actually had the opposite effect. And I'm wondering if people kind of noticed that in you, that the emotions were all over the place. And was anyone sort of pointing at it and going, you know, you've got to stop here. Don't do this to yourself. Was that happening or was it all totally kind of inside of you, your, your, your thinking around it and how you managed it and your journey with it was kind of something that came from within at the time, I think um, no one was really pushing me that hard to change it. But mm-hmm. over time, um, sometime after that, and, and through other discussions, my, my partner at the time, she definitely knew that there was something too like excessive about it. And um, even at later points, she she and I both acknowledged that there were probably a, like a likely link between the use of it and um, sort of an unregulated emotional uh, outburst and things like that. Um, so it slowly became apparent to me and to my partner that the use was not going to like make things work over, over time. Mm-hmm. And so it was, you had to be ready to hear that though, right? Because there's certainly a lot of experiences with people where someone's going, Hey, this isn't working for you. This isn't good. You're, it's not helping with your emotion regulation, et cetera, and we can brush it off easily. But you were ready. You were ready to take that in, it sounds like. You heard it. Actually, at the time I wasn't. And okay. even in, like, um, a previous relationship, I'd kind of had the same talk. And I don't think I was fully committed or ready to do that either then. Mm. Um, it actually took quite a while to realise, like, what was really important to me and how to actually make that commitment properly. Um, and I, I think it was more until, uh, I actually started watching the HBO show Euphoria that I, one, finally understood, um, addiction in a more holistic sense and less just like I knew about it, um, that it kind of registered to me that, you know, maybe this is something I do need to confront and this is something that I do need to take a harder look at and maybe put some energy behind. Mm, wonderful can you tell us about your learning from euphoria because i know that was a pivotal point for you that was when you kind of it kind of hit you between the eyes this is this is this is real so can you speak about that a little bit what did you get from euphoria that was so transformational for you sure so um i'm not going to talk uh all about the show or talk explicitly about the story of the plot um everyone can enjoy that show for themselves if they want but um (laughs) exactly no spoilers here guys um, but the, the show itself, the show itself takes on like some really interesting themes and ideas and, and I think does it with really, really like a lot of grace. Um, one of the most relevant in this conversation would be the themes of addiction. Um, and even in a sense, like the loss of a parent, which, um, 
the main character happens to be the person who experiences both of those things. Um, in, in the show, Rue, the main character, she's uh, addicted to opiates and um, she loses her a parent like at a, quite a young age. Um, unfortunately for me, I also had to go through something that was pretty painful um, in that sense. But and, and I don't think that necessarily helped uh, in terms of me regulating my substance use. But in the in the case of the show, in the there's a special episode that's sort of between the first and second season where the entire episode is just a conversation between her and a sponsor in a diner. And it was really illuminating because it really helped me understand what addiction was from more like a more modern perspective and less of a stigmatized idea. Um, usually we think of addicts as like, you know, maybe people in crack dens or those guys you see asking you for $5 for the bus walking around and you're just, you know, like a bit uneasy. But in reality, it kind of taught me that addiction is more than that. It's many, many things and it rears its head in many different ways. Um, but mostly you, we should be really thinking of it as something that, you know, can that stays with you almost like it is a disease or something like a genetic defect um, that, you know, you could potentially pass on to your kids or could run in the family and things like that. And once I kind of had that idea, I started to take it a little bit more seriously. And I started to understand that maybe if I accept that, that I am an addict, I can start to do things about it. I can start to, you know, really uh, take on and confront the idea of it and not just sort of gloss over it or joke about it. And that's when things started to change. Um, and then the other really important thing that I saw from the show was actually in the second season, in, I believe it's the fourth episode. Um, and it's really about Rue, again, our main character who hits uh, rock bottom. And the, sh- the episode itself just kind of cascades in like, it's, as they say, it's like a pile of turd rolling down a hill and it's, it just gets worse and worse. And it ultimately like culminates with her, Oh, this is a bit of a spoiler, I suppose. Trying to steal drugs from like a bedridden and comatose woman. Um, and that's kind of like this really, really low bedrock bottom moment. And not that I have tried to steal opiates from a bedrock, uh, sorry, a bedridden comatose oh woman, God. but it did, re- but it did remind me of my own, uh, kind of low points. And, um, some of them were like really illuminating to be like, Oh, okay. So she was able to go this far with her addiction to just get something. And it reminded me how far I was willing to go just to get what I wanted as well. Mm. Wow. Okay. There's a lot in that. Okay. So you had that pivotal moment in your own way by watching a particular program. What it took you to though is an acceptance that I am an addict and that was the first step. And then the other part was, the, uh, the the hitting of the rock bottom and you saw the way she did it in the program and you realise you've had those rock bottom days and moments too. And sure. so tell me about what happened after that. So you've realised this is not good. I need to do something about it. Did you have any clear idea of what needed to happen at that point? To get not at the time. Not, not at the time. Um, I think at the time learning that was maybe more a shock to the system uh, and, you know, I, I love all the hobbies that I do and I think they're a lot of fun, but for me, I was spending a lot of time, for example, playing video games, which I've done since I was a child. And, um, the, the whole experience of it was great, but I kind of felt like I wasn't able to share this more and more as time went on. And as I was getting more into things and, and then like, if I would get a game and I would love it, I would play it. 
sometimes I just, even for my other friends who play their own video games, it wasn't something I could really express to them, no matter how good or, or like into it I got. And I kind of had to like look inwardly as to like what I wanted to do. And I realized that the creative and more artistic side that I've always had, had kind of been neglected for some time. And it just felt like it really, really needed some attention. So I kind of went back and looked at, I guess, um, some of the things that, you know, really were in my past that I really enjoyed. And at the time I'd started spending um, a bit of time watching videos on YouTube about people painting model miniatures. And that was pretty illuminating because I found it really calming um, and it was really educational. And I, and it was just like very impressive to see how people did that. And I recalled that when I was about 11, um, I did have a go. I was playing like Warhammer 40K and I had a go at it and I was terrible at painting them. But I thought, well, now that I'm an adult and I have money, I can probably try it again. And so that's when um, I started becoming really interested in that. Um, and interestingly enough, I had a group of friends who were playing board games with me at the time and we were meeting up every few weeks or so um, to play this game. But unlike some board games, uh, or as most board games are, when you play them, they just kind of end and that's it. So it doesn't really matter about the outcome of each game. You just play it and it's over. Um, and I was kind of really interested in legacy board games, which is ostensibly a board game you can play. And then when it's over, you kind of either continue the story or you continue the adventure. And what happens previously impacts what happens following. So, you know, maybe you'll collect something and then that carries with you or you'll gain some kind of experience or ability and then get to carry that with you too. Um, and I sort of kind of meshed the two ideas of getting a board game that is a legacy board game that can keep playing with people, but also had a bunch of miniatures. And then I started just painting. And that's one way that I was able to really um, capitalize on like a lot of things. And I think the way that I think about it now and talk to people about it is one, um, it was able to really become creatively fulfilling to have like a way of expressing my more artistic side as well as my technical side in the painting. Um, I don't think I'm as amazing as like some of the people that I try to learn from online, but I think I'm pretty good for it for someone who's only been doing it a little while. Um, and that is definitely really fulfilling for the perfectionist inside. Um, the other sense of it is that um, I am a little bit beholden to my friends because, you know, we all kind of chipped in on the board game and at the end of the day, like, I get to sort of paint these things and then show them um, and we got to play and have a better experience overall, seeing them all like painted up. Um, and, you know, that, that has just been like a huge improvement, I think on um, having friends that I love and that love me uh, that, you know, we can spend really meaningful time together in like even more meaningful ways with, with that fulfillment. Um, and ultimately I also get to stay more true to myself in the sense that um, I am sort of meeting my own creative and social needs through the new hobby. Um, and I'm really able to both regulate and reduce the amount of weed I smoke because I'm spending a lot more time just focused on something that I enjoy that I really, really, you know, can get a kick out of and, and love doing. And like I said, have something to show for at the end of the day. Mm. Yeah. It sounds like the, the hobby was the thing that helped you enormously and, and find and having that outlet something to go to instead of the routine behavior of smoking weed is a useful thing it also I also heard something about the community having the friends and the community to tap into and the people that supported you was really important now I'm wondering for people who don't have a like you had a bit of an interest already in the painting uh, miniature painting and I'm wondering if you didn't have that 
what do you think would have happened? I mean, how important is that? Because there's a lot of people that go, look, I don't know what to do with myself. I, you know, people feeling lost and people who don't have as many hobbies and, and outlets. Is it a matter of just finding it or is it, how essential is that? It was essential in your well, journey, I suppose. I think so. I think it was a huge turning point for me. Um, but there's this kind of meme that circulates that you'll see on social media every few months or so. And it's, it's just a tweet that says um, every kid that was told they were academically gifted now has a thousand abandoned hobbies. And um, it's kind of true. Like, I think for me, there's a lot of um, start and stop where I try stuff and sometimes I'm really into it. And it's just a matter of like uh, how much time I spend ultimately. I think more recently, things have started to settle down more with how I approach my hobbies. I'm a little bit more smart about um, which ones I choose just so that I don't like burn too much money in the process. Mm. Um, One of my hobbies uh, along the way was actually roller skating, which has been great for like my physical health. I can't really speak on people who necessarily don't really know how to find them, but I think um, for me, it's just a matter of trying and also then also asking yourself the question of like well one like how can i approach this and there's a lot of creative ways for example of how to do these hobbies on a budget um potentially you don't have to spend 700 dollars on top tier roller blades for example to have a good time you can start with a hundred dollars for like a starter set or something you won't have the best time necessarily but it's still much more affordable um and you know the internet is still this treasure trove of you know, a wealth of information. So at any point in time, you can just start doing research on something that you're vaguely interested in to see if it, you know, is something that you really do want to do. And um, a lot of, to be honest, like both rollerblading and painting both kind of came from a STEM desire of like things I didn't do in my childhood or didn't do properly. Um, I guess rollerblading really started because um, it was the second lockdown actually and uh, we were walking through the park and I just saw these girls having like such a fun time skating around. And it just kind of threw me back at a flashback to when I was a child and in the neighborhood, there were these two kids who had rollerblades and they were so cool to me. And I was like, well, I have money now. I can afford this. Um, so yeah, and similar to painting. I did it when I was 11 and now I'm doing it again. So yeah. it's just, I guess my parents wouldn't buy me paint. So now I can just buy it myself. Yeah. I love that. And so the key message here really is just keep trying, find, find something, just start, start by researching, mm-hmm. start by doing, and there'll be something there that grabs your interest and gives you a newfound passion. And, and the money is obviously the critical bit for some people, but not everything has to be hugely expensive. There's things you can do. Tell me a little bit about, like, I know what rollerblading is. I am not mm-hmm. sure what miniature painting is. <laughs> what is it that you spend your time doing? <laughs> I might just go grab some now, just so it's more oh, useful. Okay. I don't think the camera is going to pick it up. All right. Well, we've lost you a little bit on the podcast here, but I, it went, for the people on video, we'll be able to see what the miniature <laughs> is. And so Michael's just about to hold up. What are you going to hold up? Let's have a look. Well, they're like figurines that are probably no greater than an oh. inch in height. This is like a dwarf, so he's like really tiny. But, um, yeah, you just... Well, the, yeah. the color is not great on this. Thanks for the shadows. But um, they really just come as like standard gray little figures and stuff. And then you just paint them over and then they just look, you know, like however you want. So this is like a lizard that I painted and oh, it's just a bit yeah. scary. Um, yeah, very cute. I, yeah, lovely. 
it just requires like an intense amount of dexterity, I suppose, and a bit of creativity into like creating themes and palettes. And um, like I said, for before, like my friends play these characters here. So, you know, having their, so these are, this is a little gladiator dwarf. This is like a, um, some kind of magical mage and a, and then we have like a little cleric here with a big shield and a flail Um, and having, having their creative input, for example, like uh, sometimes my friends would come over or I would just send them a picture and then ask them like, what are your thoughts? Um, Having their input was really great because it sort of felt like something we all contributed together. Even if I ended up doing, you know, the bulk of the work, it was just really rewarding to have them chime in and then me kind of produce something with our collective visions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool, Michael. And you know what I'm realizing as you're talking here, and by the way, for the people who did not see any of these figurines, people on the podcast, that means you're going to have to go to the YouTube now and find it and have a look at these cute little things that Michael's been painting. They're tiny little figurines, but they've, they've got a lot of character. And I guess what I'm noticing is you're holding the, or as you held them up and you were talking about them, that it's a total immersion of all the senses while you're doing that activity, isn't it? Like when you're painting, you're really, because they are tiny. If you're not really in, like totally focused on what you're doing um, and, and I guess using the, two, um, the paintbrush in a particular way, you could muck up the whole thing. So I guess in, in terms of from a mindfulness stance, we always talk about coming to your senses and really that grounds you and brings you to the present moment and it becomes a very relaxing thing, a very present thing. So I guess that's what's happening when you're painting. Would there be any truth in... You, you're, you're calmer as you're painting, perhaps? Would that be the In truth? most cases. In most cases, I certainly would say so. Um, and I think in, I guess, in a way, like it is kind of feel, sometimes feels almost like a drug of its own um, because uh, that's a bit of a stretch. But um, sometimes when, you know, I'm learning about painting or trying to paint, you're so immersed into things that you kind of, start learning about the world in different ways. Um, like even just the way that colors per- uh, perceived next to each other are completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I thought was like really fascinating, for example, was um, a lot of the time when we think of like skin color and faces, we just associate most of it as this kind of neutral tone for skin and everything else is like pink or red. But in reality, um, most of those colors that are on your skin that are more warm are actually more closer to purple. And learning that in conjunction with all these other smaller things was kind of just this mind-expanding, you know, opportunity where I just really felt like I started to understand the world in a completely different way. And that was really, really kind of special to be like, wow, you know, I have a lot more to learn. And, you know, I'm just when I'm focusing on things, it's just like such a meditative experience going through the thought and the ideas and um, just kind of the technicality which I love myself um, learning about just really technical things and how to just get really good at something so Mm -hmm. that that in itself I think has been um, just such a mind expanding uh, like learnings for myself yeah wow that's that's awesome thank you so much that last point was something that I think a lot of people would benefit from but just by way of summary for the overall episode here Michael I wonder if you could leave our listeners. So I'm going to ask you to leave them with something related to this topic. And then I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions, which I ask everybody. So in terms of leaving one main 
um, piece of wisdom, your piece of wisdom about how to get out from that rock bottom place, what, how would you summarise that one thing that people can take away and learn from? I actually really kind of want to share my own rock bottom experience if I can. That's, that's right, before I get into that. Yes. Um, so I don't think it, like for some people, if you have hit rock bottom, I think like maybe yours is worse or what have you. But I guess the feeling of rock bottom is something that you can still connect to, even if it is worse or not as worse or not as bad. Um, but for me, there was a few, but I'll just talk about one of them. Um, and it was pretty much when I was unemployed. And I was still really into smoking weed, um, as I have been for years. And the, I had an ex coworker who used to call me and she would be like, Oh, my dealer is out of town. Do you think you can buy me some weed? And, you know, I knew my guy. So I was like, Of course I can. Um, and she would ask me to buy a quart, which is a quarter of an ounce, which is usually about $100 in Australia. And I would actually convince her that you should buy more because it's not worth my time, is what I would say. And um, she would be like, okay, let's buy half as, as I'd convince her. And so she would give me $200. But the truth is, I only buy half for 150 So I was actually ripping her off the whole time. And I used that $50 to pretty much survive. But I also used the opportunity to go buy her weed so that I could go smoke more weed at my dealer's place anyway. And um, then sometimes I would even like skim a little bit off, which I do feel pretty bad about for the whole thing. So if you're listening, Danya, I'm sorry. Um, but ultimately, like I did this to her maybe two or three times and I kind of felt like it was necessary to survive. But when I do look back, like I didn't need to do any of those things. Like I could have, if, if I was more in control or if I was like maybe not so hooked that or addicted rather, I would probably, um, you know, have been a more honest person, I'd say. Um, but I guess for anyone finally who is, you know, maybe a bit stuck or feels like their addiction does have a huge grip on them. Um, I really hope that anything I've shared has given you hope and that, you know, as bad as things get, like you are ultimately like the champion of your own destiny. Um, and sometimes you just need to keep an open mind and an open heart to the things around you in order to ask yourself like the really important questions of, like, who are you and what do you want to do? Because you can always create your own future if you have the means and the willpower to do it, I think. And um, I certainly think I've manifested something um, because I've been really lucky. Um, and I know a lot of people may not have the same opportunities, but, um, you know, tomorrow is always a new day. And you might think you don't need to change, but maybe one day you'll have a reason to and maybe that'll come, but maybe you can give it to yourself as well. Mm, thank you Michael that was really really beautiful and thank you for being so open and sharing and certainly um, there's something really important there about commitment to values I think you had a realization in that uh, that you know that you weren't living in accordance with the values of truth or, or um, being honest I guess and and that I just want to highlight that that's there in the background as well so Thank you for sharing and thank you for being so open and generous with, with your comments. If you don't mind now, I'd like to give you some quick fire questions, three questions related to our topic here on the podcast. As you know, it's called the Peace and Passion Podcast. So we're into cultivating inner peace 
and building more love as well. And we do that through a journey of having a good relationship with yourself, a relationship with an intimate other, and then the relationship you have with all of life. I think what you've been speaking about is really both fitting into the relationship with yourself, as well as the relationship you had with life and the wobbles of life and the stresses of life. Um, but just by way of summary, what do you think that peace is all about? What does it mean to you? If I was to say lead a peaceful life, what does that mean to you? I suppose it would, for me, be something where you can lead a life that is somewhat fulfilling but also gives you the opportunity to um, express yourself in the way that you want without necessarily being oppressed or told you can't. Um, but also being able to, you know, really, really have the opportunities to do the things you want, whether that's to start a family, um, you know, live in by your own means and just have somewhere safe to go to when your day is over. Lovely. Thank you. Okay, next question. What's the one ingredient for a great relationship with yourself? I think it's, um, for me, it has always been, knowing how to spend time with, with yourself in like a meaningful way. Uh, when I used to live alone, um, I would just go home and like lose my mind until I started what I described as like dating myself, where I would go home, relax for a bit, and then I would go do things that I wanted to do. And I just did them on my own. I didn't feel the need to invite anyone. I just went and ate a Japanese curry when I felt the urge to eat one. And then, um, yeah, just thought that was like such a great experience of you know, it turned a really negative experience of living by myself to a really positive one. Mm, I like that idea of dating yourself. I might steal that one. <laughs> and my final question for you again, it's the same thing. It's an, what is the one ingredient for a successful relationship with an intimate other? Um, definitely for me and in my relationships, it's all about communication and trust. Mm. Um, I mean, everyone says it, but it's so entirely true when you have someone in your life that, you know, means something to you. You have to be honest with them and you have to like give them a reason to back you and so that you can back them. Um, and yeah, just keep each other in the loop. I, I always love knowing about her day and I love telling her about mine. Um, and that's just keeping those lines open. It's been such a positive and healthy thing for both of us. Mm. And I think that's just so super important for anyone yeah. and who wants to be in a relationship. Oh, sorry, what was that? For anyone who wants to be in a relationship. Yeah, yeah. And look, there's lots of um, trust is a foundational principle in much of the work that's done in the therapy world, in the couples therapy world. And this is probably a good segue for me to talk about my program because I've got a course coming up. My theme is Grow, and so it's a personal evolution program. And the next course coming up is all about trust. And what you'll learn from there is to be able to be in a trusting relationship, you need to first trust yourself. So it starts with self-trust. So if anybody out there is interested in that, I will put a link in the show notes. I will also put a link to, well, you didn't mention anything. Maybe there won't be any links. <laughs> um, anything that, or maybe the euphoria, I might put a link in there as well. And um, hopefully... The good people out there got one useful nugget out of this session. And I want to thank you, Michael, because I certainly enjoyed talking to you. And I know that there were many nuggets in there, but I hope it resonated with somebody out there who needs to hear this. So thank you for your time. And I look forward to seeing you again. Take care.
Thanks for listening to the Peace and Passion podcast. If you'd like to stay in contact, make sure you subscribe to the show in your podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Now, if you like something here or if something resonated with you, I'd love your encouragement to keep this going. You can do that with a review, a like or a share, or just by telling someone that you think will benefit from hearing this podcast. Take good care now.